RJ Clifford here, filling in for Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I had the opportunity to speak with Ray Longo, the head coach of Aljamain Sterling, literally less than 24 hours after they announced the rematch between Aljamain Sterling and Petrion. I got his insight onto that training camp. And we also talked the latest MMA news, including UFC 272's two title fights with MMA junkies Mike Bond. Hope you enjoy. Joining us now, the head coach of Sarah Longo, the one and only Ray Longo. How you doing, Ray? Oh, Jay, how we feeling, buddy? How you been? Uh, awesome, fantastic. Uh, probably not as good as you because I, I got I got to imagine as a uh, as a head coach, you know, you got you got a squad of fighters. You you got fights often, regional guys, UFC guys, yeah. you know, all all over the place. But when your champions got a title fight on the books, I got to imagine business picks up a little bit in Long Island. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to get him back to Long Island first, but okay. he is coming in next week, so uh, things will be things will be great. I'm excited to see him and uh, start game planning for a very, very tough fight, which we now know is going to be tough. Yeah, uh, clearly, um, Petrion has has been on an absolute tear. Um, so is yeah, your so Without is your guy Aljamain Sterling as well too. That that win streak's nothing to to to, to laugh at. Um, so oh no, without a doubt. So where so. Um, I imagine you got the news same times same time we did. Did did you call Aljo right away? He called you. We're in the war room. Like what was what was the last twenty four hours like for you two? Uh, well, he told me that I knew about this about three weeks ago. I believe okay. it was a while ago. And then he's been sending me a sparring that he's been doing out in Vegas, mm-hmm. and we talked. So I didn't even talk to him in the last twenty four hours. I just last time I talked to him, why it was a couple of days ago, and. He just said he's coming in, I think, on the 16th. So that was good news. And that was it, really. Yeah, I knew about it. He, he knew it was going to happen maybe two or three weeks ago. Okay. So now that uh, now that it's done, obviously this has been postponed so many times because of uh, Aljo's neck injury. Do you know yeah. the latest on that? Is he is he sparring 100%? Like there's, there's no hiccups at all? No, like, trying to, like, no pitch count or anything this camp? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I mean, based on even what he's been saying, he feels a million percent better. And just to go back to the beginning, when the October thing, he was never on board with that. I don't know how that even got thrown in there, but you know, sometimes, you know, the manager and then this or that, they try to maybe force you into it, but he was never looking to get back that early. And that was pretty quick. So mm-hmm. he says he's feeling great now and that's all I could go by. So obviously in, uh, when you're preparing for a guy you've never fought before, you're kind of going on tape, you're going on what you hear. Um, but until, you know, you're in that corner and your, and your fighter gets his paws on him, sometimes you don't really know what you're getting a hold of, but, um, they fought 100%. Four, yeah, yeah. 100%. So, so they fought four rounds. Um, Petrion knows what Aljo's about more or less. Aljo knows what Petrion's about more or less. How much different, and obviously you're not going to give away the game plan, but how much different yeah. is the game plan for the second fight compared to the first fight? I'm going to say, believe it or not, I'm going to say it's not going to be that much difference. It's really, look, Jan's pressure is unbelievable. Even with a guy, Sanhagen, who I think is a phenomenal fighter, and that was a, definitely a competitive fight, but, a, you know, Jan won. He's he's proven that, man, he can go five rounds hard, and that, that to me is the fight. Like, it's the pressure of Peter Jan against, you know, the movement and the angles of Aljo, and, and obviously, you know, uh, his submissions are great when it's on the floor, but that wasn't looking good in the first fight. So we got to change up a couple of things. But my, my thing is always that I don't want to make cardio 
even a factor in the fight. You should have excellent cardio. And mm -hmm. Aljo did start to gas the last time, and that's the first thing that has to be corrected, which yeah. isn't an easy thing to do because – it was almost like Weidman at the beginning of his career. He would suffocate you, man. He'd stalk you down. And it was almost, I remember saying to, uh, I think, Danaher, it's like by the time they realize what's going on, it's too late. You know, he gets yeah. his hands on you. And he was, that's what, what made him really special at the beginning was that forward pressure. And he could put that fight where he wanted. And I think uh, Jan's, it's similar to that. I, I think it's hard to look from the outside, like when we're analyzing the fight, exactly what that pressure is doing to you. But at this point, you have to come to the conclusion it's breaking a lot of people down, you know. So I don't think there's a mystery there, and he throws hard. So uh, right now he doesn't have many gaps in his game. Because it's, it's a unique situation because, like, let's say you're fighting somebody who starts fast but slows down. Like, the game plan's pretty obvious, right? Stay out of danger early, yeah. let him gas out and take over. Yeah. But when it's the reverse problem... It's a little bit more complicated, right? You're like, all right, this guy's only going to get better the longer we fight. Normally, people slow down and get tired. This guy turns into <laughs> Superman and just gets stronger and stronger. I mean, is there is, is and maybe not Petrion specifically, but is there just an, a standard operating procedure when you're fighting somebody who only gets stronger as the fight goes on? Well, that's where the game plan becomes very interesting. <laughs> so that's got to be taken. Yeah, RJ, that's got to be taken into consideration, and it's funny because. You know, I spoke to Aya Quinter. I go, what do you think, you know, from the first fight? I don't want to, like, give away anything, but that, that's one of the things that has to be addressed. How we're going to handle that, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Aljo, in the gym, like, he still – he can do things that people don't know he could do, and I think that's a plus for me. You know what I mean? He's just got to let certain things go. But he's very dangerous in areas where people don't think he's dangerous – and he really hasn't been able to highlight that yet. And I, I'm going to try to, you know, get that out of him a little more because he is explosive as shit. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. He's got a couple of things that, that are fight ending for sure that, like, again, it takes balls to sit in the pocket and to do a lot of stuff. So that's what we're going to be working on. But that pressure, like you say, is going to be uh, – that's really part of the game plan is how to, how to navigate around that and not gas out. It's interesting you, you bring up these um, these secret weapons that Aljamain Sterling hasn't shown yet because I, I I would argue from the outside looking in that Aljamain Sterling is is um, like we, we we know how he fights semi unique right going to do big kicks yeah, yeah, from the yeah, outside exactly. yeah he wants to take yeah. you down wrap you up tap you out right I feel like that's you know it's yeah. one dimensional is the wrong the wrong term but I feel like he's got a very specific way that he wants to fight um, you're saying right. that there's that there's more to it we haven't seen. There is more. There is more to it. Yes, a hundred percent. And then we look. Hey, RJ, we might never see it. I'm not saying like <laughs> you know it's not easy, but he's got to commit to certain things that he does a hundred percent instead of forty percent, and it'll make a big difference. You know, it's funny. You know, did you see that year of the fighter with Matt Surrey yet? I haven't. No, I want to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's real. It's really pretty cool. I mean, it was good for me to go back and just reminisce because I, I never get a chance to do that. But I. I I loved it, but one of the things he said is, like, we, we never uh, – we knew that George thought Matt wanted that fight to the floor. We never were looking to go to the floor with that fight, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think P.D. Yon expects a certain thing out of Aljo, and that's what we're going to try to change, you know what I mean? So 
those are the game plans to me is thinking what the other guy's thinking you're going to do and how to work around that. So we'll see. Look, it's obviously it's not an easy task. We know that from the first fight now. But as a coach, man, that's that excites the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing, you know, Matt said is we love being the underdogs. I love it. I'm at my best when I'm the underdog. I don't need like a couple of times, RJ, like, you know, we have to widen it. Oh, you know. You know, Longo's good. He, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be the. I don't want to be the favorite. I want to be the underdog, and that's what I thrive on as a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Longo here on unlocking the cage. R.J. Clifford in for Jimmy Smith. So obviously, this the last fight ended in you know the the illegal knee. Um, we all yeah. heard the story a thousand times. What what is what is that like as a coach? Now you know it's going to be a, a, over a year later since that first fight, knowing that like. That opponent needs your guy in the head illegally and flagrantly. I mean, it, I, I, yeah, I just, there's no question I, about you that. take that you take that shit personal, right? I mean, you try to keep it as you know, you want to be professional and not let emotions get into things, but like blatant, flagrant foul, fight ending me, I would be pissed, and I would to this day, I I don't know how you keep such a calm head about it. No, no, he, Al Joe's different, man. He's not, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say that'll have zero effect on him. Okay. He's a, he's he's quirky, man. He's not a <laughs> normal guy. You can see, like he's not a malicious guy. He's not a he's not a revengeful guy. So that's not even going to take place. But getting back to that, though, I mean, Pete Young was winning that fight. Aljo mm-hmm. was slowing down, right? That was obvious. Why the fuck would you deliver that knee like that? I mean, that. Yeah. There's got to be a disconnect somewhere in this guy. I mean, I, I really don't understand. And not only did he get knee head, he was victimized for it. He was the bad mm-hmm. guy. Yep. Yeah, and that's and that's the other part too. I mean, it's. I feel like there's two there's two parties here, right? Like there's people who are like, I can't believe that Patreon did that. What a dumbass! That was flagrant. He deserves to get DQ'd. And then, and, and I'm sure you've heard the other side of the fan base. It's like, oh, he's. Aljo's a paper champ. Petrion was on his way to win. That belt's not real. How has Aljo been handling the kind of all the noise that comes with a, a such a controversial fight in a uh, ending to a title fight? Look, I think he's handled it pretty good. But he, come on, he got bombarded. I mean, I'm talking. Yeah. It was those Russians were vicious, man. <laughs> Dude, they were coming in the thousands of just you know clown faces and. So I'm going to say as a human being, I think you have to be somewhat affected by it. But if I had to pick one fighter that I've trained that it might not affect, it's 100% Aljo. Okay. He's fucking, he's crazy. So I think he can, he can compartmentalize a lot of things that a lot of other people can't. And I think it's to his benefit. But, uh, you know, I don't think he, he won't get emotional about that at all. He might, he might say it, but he's, I don't believe he would. He's just not that guy. Is there someone in your camp that does a really good job of imitating Patreon for Aljo? Well, I mean, look, we got Marab who can who can apply the pressure. He's not going to sure. stop, right? Sure. But he doesn't have the he does, he's not he doesn't have the striking uh, excellence as John has. John's pretty clean as a boxer, but Marab will, uh, will eventually get there. But right now, he can match him for the pressure, which for cardio should be good. And then you know, I mean, last time we brought in Adrian Yanez. To uh, because I think he's probably one of the slickest boxes at 135 in that division, and we got a couple other guys that you know we use for speed work. Some guys will bring in a 45 pounder for you know power work. So I think he'll be in good shape with that, you know. But mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to you know directly imitate somebody, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. pretty individual, and 
Uh, Jan definitely is not not unique, but he's he's got his own way of doing things, and uh, I think we can get close to it, but uh, we'll see if that that makes a difference. I do uh, I do uh, agree with you that uh, a great ace up the sleeve of Aljamain's journaling is having Marab as a training partner. I mean, the pressure that that. Twenty twenty one was. He's not, not going to stop. He's definitely not going to stop. No matter. No matter what, what you do to him. I mean, twenty twenty one was such a great year of fights that it, it got kind of buried. But his performance against Henan Barrow in September was. I feel spiritually connected to the people that I watched that fight with. Marab just taking yeah, that talking, beating from Barrow about, and yeah. coming back. Oh my God! You're talking about uh, Marlon Marais. I think. Um, Marais. I'm sorry. About, yes, right? Marlon Marais. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. Yeah, come on, man. I think you're right. That fight got better. I think that was one of the most exciting fights. I mean, look, to be in the yeah. corner of that fight was, uh, you know, my heart was coming out of my chest. But if you do not kill him, he's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. He uh, either goes out for good or he's going to keep coming forward. Yeah, just just uh, he's a can't-miss fighter for sure, no matter where he is on a yeah, card. He lo- look, RJ, he loves fighting, so it's not like, you know – a lot of guys, you know, stress out a little bit, right? They get anxiety. Mm-hmm. This and this guy just loves it. He doesn't. I don't even. I'm not even sure he cares about winning or losing. He just wants to <laughs> compete, which is that's a dangerous guy. He's exact. He's one of those guys where you're like, thank God that there's fighting for a job because, like, imagine that guy like running a dairy or something instead. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, imagine no, that no, guy be. Like, he's like no, your Amazon delivery driver. You're like, okay, this guy's got to screw loose. Put him in a cage, please. <laughs> Listen, listen, RJ, he is one of the nicest, most humble guys you will ever meet. Mm-hmm. Clear-headed, uh, you know, practical. He's a really good dude, just a, a hard-working, blue-collar grinder. I love that guy. Love yeah. him. And if you notice, when they talk about fights in the top five, the guy's name never gets mentioned as an opponent. No one wants him, right? Yeah, nobody no one, wants him. No one wants to face that guy. I'm, I'm with him. Uh, I, I know you've got uh, you've got class here in just a second. So just last yeah. question, real quick. Um, what's, what's the latest with Chris Weib and his recovery? How's he doing? Uh, I mean, I think it's going good. Uh, I haven't talked to him uh, in a couple of weeks. You know, he was out here. I forget when, but he's walking around, and I think he looks like he's he's doing good. But he definitely plans on fighting again. But I guess it's contingent exactly on how he feels. But sure. you know, as far as just normal day to day stuff, he looks fine. Uh, fighting is a totally different animal. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. But he's been—he's definitely been working out. But uh, because he's in South Carolina, right? You know, I don't see him as much as I would if he was here. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see you in the corner. Uh, you know, before this, but definitely the night of March fifth in Las Vegas, UFC two seventy two—the rematch that we've been waiting for for a year. Yeah, this, Sterling, this is ex- this exciting stuff. And I also have January twenty second. I have Matt Frivola fighting on that card, uh, Cyril Gunn against Ngano. So it yep. should be exciting, too. Always a busy guy. Ray Longo. Yeah, thanks for, we, take, thanks for taking some time moving. for us. All right, Audrey, take it easy, buddy. Happy New Year. Thanks, Ray. You too. Happy New Year. All right, thanks, buddy. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. So we've got two awesome title fights coming to us March 5th at UFC 272 to help us break it all down, storylines and all. 
uh, store over there at MMAJunkie.com, Mike Bond. How you doing, Mike? Hey, man, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, first question. Of the four Ninja Turtles, which one had the best weapon? I say Donatello with the staff because I feel like in the hands of an amateur, it's the one most likely to hurt yourself. <laughs> I could uh, get on board with that. I don't have a strong opinion. I wasn't necessarily expecting that question right off the bat, so I'll, uh, I'll side with you there. Okay. Good answer. Uh, so UFC 272 coming down, uh, a, a pair of rematches. They're both... The storylines of both are intriguing, but I feel like in opposite ways. With Volkanovski and Holloway, you're kind of playing with fire if Volk gets another like close split decision and goes three over Max. It's not going to feel like he's the man, but you, I don't think you can do a fourth fight. And on the flip side, it's kind of the opposite, where I feel like we all kind of feel like Jan's going to get that win, and he's just kind of righting a wrong. Are those the two prevailing storylines for those fights in your eyes? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, first of all, I'll say, you know, in the world where we're talking about maybe is Conor McGregor going to jump over Justin Gaethje and fight Charles Oliveira or something like that. Like these, they got these two title fights in these divisions exactly right. These are sure. the two fights I think you had to make at bantamweight and featherweight. So, you know, respect to that. Um, as far as what you kind of just said there, yeah. I mean, obviously this is massively important for Max Holloway. Uh, if he goes down 0-3, even if it's a you know, complete robbery or, you know, some crazy decision, whatever. Um, yeah, this is kind of it for him. Like, he needs to win this fight if we want this to either continue or Max is going to have to make some big career decisions, whether it's jumping to 155 or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, that definitely seems to be uh, how that fight's looking. And as far as the bantamweight title fight, yeah, I mean, Peter Jan was winning the first fight up until, you know, he cost himself the title with that horribly uh, stupid foul um, and the illegal knee. So they, I think people still feel they'll look at that fight and say, how is it going already? And if Peter Jan cannot shoot himself in the foot again, I think he's the clear favorite to win that fight. Aljamain Sterling is an excellent fighter and uh, a very, very good bantamweight in that division that's insanely deep. But I think Peter Jan's the man right now. Of the four fighters in those two title fights, who has the most pressure on them? Max Holloway. Uh, you got to say, right? Like, I mean, yeah. just the, this is such a unique scenario. I kind of tweeted out yesterday. We've had a lot of trilogies in the UFC before, but never before have we had three fights that are all for the title and one guy won the first two. So this is uncharted territory, you know, completely unprecedented, but it's justified, obviously. You know, I think if you really want to, you could have done this third fight immediately after the second fight if you really wanted to go there. But Max sure. Holloway has more than proven himself. I mean, that Calvin Cater performance was an all-timer, and then what he did against Jair Rodriguez, one of the best fights of the year. So um, he's absolutely earned this. I don't think you're looking at that division right now and being like, oh, this guy's getting you know, screwed out of a title shot because Max Holloway's the bigger star or whatever. There's no one that's clearly there. I mean, I'm sure we'd all like to see Zabit back fighting and he was trending in a good direction, but that guy's been out for, I think, over two years now. So um, he's obviously not in the running. Giga Chikante, I think if he wins against Calvin Cater next week, he's obviously right there. But I think this was the fight to make as of right now. And yeah, Max Holloway needs to win because... I don't know where he goes if he doesn't want to move up to 55 and he loses his fight. Well, that's kind of the the uh, the dirty little question follow-up, right? Like, for Max's legacy, he's got to get this win before, you know, a, a guy that good who some consider the best featherweight of all time going 0-3 against Volk, you're, you're, in, you're in purgatory at that point. But if he wins yeah. and he's 1-2 against Volkanovski, like, do they immediately have to go best out of five? Like, do you, how do you deny Volkanovski a rematch? At that point, it's like, 
where does this end if if Max Holloway wins? Best of five, baby. I'm I'm down for it. I mean, like you, you could do it. I, it obviously completely depends. Like um, if it's a decision for Max Holloway, like relatively competitive, yeah, I think you do the fourth fight right away. Honestly, if Alexander Volkanovsky gets brutally knocked out in the first round or something like that, and he needs to take like six months off, then maybe Max fights someone else, and then Volkanovsky gets a win, and they go back to that. Something like that. Obviously, it really depends on how the fight goes, but. I think Volkanovski's more than earned, you know, his spot. He's kind of known in the UFC. I think only four fighters have ever done that. So um, he's, you know, not getting enough respect in his own right. That's a whole other topic of conversation. But, yeah, I mean, like the situation he's in, I think this needs to potentially go four or five fights if Max Holloway wins. Uh, it's something we haven't seen before, but we haven't seen this scenario before. I mean, these two guys are very clearly, in my eyes, the first and second best featherweights in the world. And there's a bit of a drop-off to everyone else, as we've kind of seen as the fights played out. So I'm totally fine if Max Holloway does win, us doing a fourth fight, if he wins again, doing a fifth fight. I mean, this was bound to happen at some point. We just haven't had enough UFC history play out. The sport's relatively young still in the grand scheme. So um, I, I don't mind if that's ultimately the way this goes. He's Mike Bond of MMA Junkie here on Lock in the Cage. I'm RJ. So this is, this is, I think, the downside. Now, for you and me, Mike, the 50 minutes that Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky have already done was awesome. We want more. I want to figure this out. Uh, who's going to make the adjustments pre-fight? Who's going to make the adjustments in-game? These are all awesome, engaging questions. My, my problem is I feel like they can fight 10 times, and we're going to see the same fight just scored based on who the judges are. Like, we just... They just both seem like normally rivals that are that are almost exactly equal bring out the best in each other. I almost feel like Volkanovski and Holloway bring out the worst in each other and that it kind of shows that neither one of them has a fight altering ace up their sleeve. Some incredible Olympic pedigree where they can just wrestle when they need to uh, a finishing strike that can alter the course of a fight. Neither one of them really truly has that. And so they're both just kind of constantly playing the same game of chess over and over again they can fight 10 times and i feel like we're going to see the same fight 10 times just i don't want a rivalry to be decided by who the judges are but i feel like that's what's going to happen with these two yeah you're not wrong i mean we almost had our moment in that second fight when max hallway you know got the big head kick and that was probably the closest we've had to a finish in either fight Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this one, you know, is going to be even more competitive. Like if you're Alexander Volkanovsky, man, your confidence must just be at an all-time high coming off that fight with Brian Ortega. Yeah. Um, he seems to be you know, pretty bulletproof in terms of being able to be finished. So, yeah, Max Holloway, obviously not known for his, you know, crazy one-punch knockouts or anything. Of course, he has the most knockouts in featherweight history, but that's a pure volume thing. He just kind of breaks guys. And as we've seen from Alexander Volkanovsky, that guy has an unbreakable will, man. So, uh, yeah, I think you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there. I mean, this is a crazy sport. You and I have seen enough fights uh, where we know, like, you spend what will be if this one goes to decision 75 minutes in the cage together, potentially less, like, something could maybe happen. Like I said, we almost had it with that head kick, but maybe Max Holloway, after doing the most fights in UFC history and taking the most strikes absorbed, he eventually, his chin just fails him, and maybe he gets hit in the right spot. And You know, that's the one-hitter quitter that he's been able to avoid his whole career, and who knows? Like, he obviously is an insanely skilled striker. I think he can catch Volkanovski, too, but uh, I think, you know, we're looking at very small percentages here, and I think 
what you kind of laid out is just the reality of the situation with, you know, the, the power of these two and just the way they match up. So, um, yeah, it may ultimately play out that way. We get five fights and five decisions in 150 minutes or whatever, if I'm doing that math right, 125. But, yeah, it's just the, the way it could be with these two. Yeah, and it's like you mentioned, it's not like there's some featherweight contender that's just, like, being held back by this, right? The division's, like, the long-term health of the division's there. But, you know, like, like you mentioned, Giga Chikese still needs a signature win. Um you know, Brian Ortega just lost. Ayer Rodriguez just lost. It kind of opens the door for the UFC to do this. On the flip side, um, very righteous matchmaking for very different reasons, right? 135 is such a mess with Petreon being the interim champ, but everyone thinks he's the real champ. Aljamain Sterling, the true champ, but everyone thinks Petreon's better. TJ Dillashaw should get a title shot, but he's injured. Jose Aldo is a fan favorite, but he's got to keep working his way up. Like, this is kind of just like step one and adding some clarity. Is there any situation, like, is there, is there any situation that you can see between Petreon and Aljamain Sterling where a fight goes a certain way that they need to do the fight again? Barring another, like, cra- craziness, is if Sterling wins close, do you think they have to do another one to figure things out? If Petreon wins close, they have to do another one to figure out? Or do you think this is going to end that chapter? Mm, it's hard to say. I think all the scenarios you kind of laid out are possible. I mean, we could get like a draw. Uh, that would be something where you'd have to do it again, but that probably calls and in, falls into the kind of the crazy category you're describing. But yeah, I mean, like if Sterling wins, even if it's, you know, something close, I could totally see a similar scenario to what we were just talking about with Volkanovski and Holloway, where one guy holds two wins. Uh, and they do a third fight, but obviously the circumstances there are very different because that first fight, you can almost, you know, to a degree write it off. Um, it would kind of more so feel like a, a 1-0. But, yeah, I mean, I, that's something that could easily happen um, depending on how this fight unfolds. I would not be surprised at all if we've seen these guys fight again and say even Peter Jan, you know, tears up Aljo and wins the undisputed title and it's a pretty clear fight. Aljamain Sterling, as I said earlier, is a very very good bantamweight i could totally see him going and winning two or three fights and then earning that third fight where technically it's a rubber match but everyone feels you know aljo would be down 2-0 in that scenario because he didn't really win the first fight so um yeah i think this could go a lot of different ways um but i do i think kind of the prevailing thing in my mind is aljamain sterling is being uh, significantly underrated. I know, you know mm-hmm. Peter Jan is amazing, and I give that guy all the credit in the world for being the talent he is, but I don't think uh, people are giving Aljo the respect he deserves, and I think he, he definitely has a shot to win this fight. Along those lines, Mike, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big of an asshole am I for thinking that there's a pretty good chance that Aljo doesn't make it to the cage March 5th and pulls out for one reason or another? I mean, I don't think the neck is a tricky thing, man. And I know sure. Aljo posted the day, I think the day before this fight was announced so earlier this week that he had done full sparring and he posted you know, a little bit of footage and was saying this is the best I felt since, you know, before October, all this stuff. So it seems like the signs are there. This is going to be good. But yeah, man, like this is, it would be a tough thing for him because if he did pull out, I would fully expect him to be stripped. They would, put Peter on in there against whoever else um, and just make him the, the full undisputed champion. Cause who knows, like I said, the next tricky, if Aljo can't fight, um, who knows what that means? Does that mean he needs another surgery? Does he need another six months off? It's just bantamweight is too loaded. I mean, I know there was some discussions 
even before this fight was put together about potentially stripping Aljo. So uh, I think that would definitely go through if he pulls out of this fight. I hope it doesn't happen. Don't want to wish that on him. But, um, yeah, I think you're not uh, completely out of line and thinking this would be real bad for him if he does. Uh, last one um, in the heavyweight division. Derek Lewis said yesterday that he wants Stipe Miocic as his as his next opponent. Um, it's kind of like the only one that makes sense considering Derek Lewis has fought basically everybody else. But I can't help but feel like Stipe is like just going to wait for a title fight, and he can do it. I feel like Stipe, like if he wants to just wait and uh, and fight the winner of Surreal Gone versus Francis Ngannou, like he can kind of pull that off. Yeah, I mean, the fight's, what, like 10 days away or 12 days away or something? So we're, we're right there. Um, he's waited this long, so you might as well just wait and see what happens there. But, yeah, of course, you know, that, that elephant in the room that you didn't mention there is John Jones. Um, yeah. If John Jones ends up getting a deal done with the UFC, I expect him to fight the winner of Ngannou and gone. And, you know, Francis Ngannou's contract situation is a whole other thing, but we don't need to go into that right now. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Stipe has a, an avenue there, depending on what happens with John Jones. But if, say, things go smoothly, gone and Ngannou win, they fight John Jones in the summer, I think at that point, if you're Stipe, you pretty much have to take a fight. And I think Derek Lewis is definitely a, a very winnable one with him in terms of, you know, his striking ability, his defense, and then his grappling. So I think... You know, that's a good fight for Stipe. If he just needs a win to get back on track, then without question, he would be title shot worthy for Derek Lewis. I mean, we know what that guy's capable of. He's got the power to put anyone to sleep. So, uh, yeah, I think that would be a great fight. If it doesn't work out, I think Derek Lewis can fight anyone. That's the great thing about him. You could literally have him fight the 14th-ranked heavyweight or someone unranked, and he'll gladly take it just as he would a title shot. So, um, yeah, you can kind of move, use Derek Lewis as a chess piece to move wherever you need on the board. But for Stipe, uh, I think this all hinges on what happens at UFC 270. I think it's very possible he fights the winner, but I think it's very possible um, he's going to have to fight someone else first. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.